What an opportunity to preach to a bunch of liars. It's great. <laughs> and you say you live by the Ten Commandments. Sure you do. One, uh, somebody said the only time a fisherman tells the truth is when he calls another fisherman a liar. I guess you can relate to that. Today we're going to meet Jesus by the sea. It's a, one of the scenes in Jesus' life that's familiar to us. And uh, it's a scene that if, we, that if we don't get, if we don't take it in, if we don't grasp it, we don't understand it, we're not going to go very, very, very far with him because it's basic to everything else. It's Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats to, fill, to so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. What we have here in Luke chapter 5 is discipleship 101. Because discipleship, true discipleship, is not learned in the sterility of a classroom in a church building. It's learned in relationship. It's learned in community. It's learned as we do life on the street and by lakes and oceans and mountains and, and streets like the towns that we live in, the neighborhoods we live in, has to do with taking the truth of who God is and who his son is and, and grasping it and welcoming it into our life and learning. That's what these men did for three and a half years as they, as they followed Jesus. They got acquainted with him and learned who, his, who he really is. And I have one question for you today. Being here in a church building on Sunday morning, Typical place, or most of you are, week to week. Are you all in? Are you totally in? I mean, you know what I mean by that. Because you know what it's like to watch your kid on the court, and he's not all in. And you get on him when he comes home, and like, where were you today? Your body was there, but you didn't show up for the game today. What happened? You can see people at work like that. They've shown up for work. They've clocked in. They're on the job, but they're not really in. You can tell it. You can have a marriage like that, where you go through all the, all the parts of a marriage, but you know you're going through the motions, and you feel like your spouse isn't all in. It can happen in any area of life, including here this morning. You look out, we have four different services this morning. There's a lot of people gathered, lots of churches far bigger than ours, and around the world today, people worshiping. And God looks throughout all of Christendom today, and I, I wonder how many he perceives as being all in, sold out to Jesus Christ and his plan, his work in the world. This account gives us seven, seven indications that are, necess are, that are necessary for being all in as a disciple of Jesus. Here we go. First, 
friendship with Jesus. It all starts there, friendship with Jesus. Now, I want you to know that when Jesus encounters Peter here. This is not the first time they've met. We don't have, we don't have like Stepford disciples, you know, robotic disciples that just, okay, I'll follow you, you know, all my life, as if they've never met before. By this time, Jesus is about six months into his ministry, okay? If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, another account of Jesus' life, the first five chapters of John's Gospel precede Luke 5. That means that already by this time, Jesus has turned water into wine. He has healed the nobleman's son. He has, he has turned the, te- the, temple, the tables in the temple upside down, the money changers, t- uh, that is, and driven them out of the temple. He has had his conversation with Nicodemus about being born again. He has had the discussion with the Samaritan woman at the well that changed the direction of her life. All that has already taken place. Peter and others have seen. They've they've witnessed some of this. They've been intrigued by Jesus. We will call them up to now friends of Jesus, just just like Peter here. You know, it's easy to hang around with Jesus, Even people who do not believe that God exists don't have problems with Jesus other than his claim. I mean, if you're a thinking person at all, even if you don't believe God exists, you have to agree that Jesus was a pretty nice guy. You'd want him as your neighbor or your son-in-law or your best friend because he does just nice things for people. And so it's, it's good to have a friend in Jesus. But so many people know him only to that degree. If that's all he is to you, that he's good to have around, hang around with, somebody that you like to be familiar with as a friend, you're not all in. It's easy to get to that place. The second feature is failure without Jesus. So after Jesus has been teaching the crowds, they're, they're pressing in, you know. He's getting pushed back toward the sea. And so he sees these couple of boats here. And so he, he gets in one of them. And uh, he's talking for a while. And then as they start engaging, Peter does make the comment that he's been fishing all night and they've caught nothing. That's what he's been doing. Now, Peter's a fisherman. He's a professional. This is business. If he doesn't catch fish, his family doesn't eat. This is his means for support. And before Jesus is able to do anything with him, he's got to admit failure, just like you and me. Until we're willing to say we are incompetent to make sense out of life, and be, find satisfaction in any other area of life until we can come to that point that we, are, we cannot be all in with Jesus Christ. Fishermen have a hard time admitting failure. <laughs> one said, hey, how many of you caught? And the old guy responded, well, after the next one and the two after that, I'll have caught three. It's a lot easier to say that than I haven't caught anything. But failure, failure is very real in life. We know it. We're acquainted with it. And before we are all in, we've got to admit failure, that we cannot make life work by ourselves. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Life, sometimes, usually the seasons of life, can make you feel like you've been fishing all night long and you have nothing to show for it. You can work and work and work your career, and then you wake up one day and think, why am I so empty when this is what I I trained to do? This is what I plan to do. 
You, you, can, you can give your life to a sport. You can give your life to leisure. You can give your life to health. You can give your life to your family. You can give your life to anything. And you wake up one day and say, why is it that I still feel empty inside? Why, why aren't all the pieces coming together? We are not made in a way that we're equipped to be fully satisfied our own way, doing life any way we want. We're not made that way. God created us with a hole inside. And until he fills it, life simply, its pieces won't come together. You can't be all in until you've gotten to the point that you know your life is empty without him. Third is faithfulness to Jesus. Jesus gives Peter these unusual instructions. I say unusual. He tells him to launch out into deep water. And you can imagine what Peter thought. He probably thought, Jesus, you stick to carpentry and preaching. I'll take care of the fishing. He was the professional. He knew what to do. He knew the best time of day to fish, which was now past. He knew the best waters to fish in. And so he must be thinking, you're joking. But then he says, because you say so, I will do so. Some of these people are right up close by the, by the water's edge. They're hearing the conversation. They're knowing what's going on. This statement of Jesus, uh, Peter, because you say so, is a precursor to his later confession when he's going to say, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's all tucked away in this one little statement, because you say so. He is growing in understanding who Jesus is, what his identity is. What, what his identity is. You see, faith says, I believe your word. And the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And frankly, it's a commendable place to be. If you can say today, well, I believe the Bible. I believe what the Bible says. Good for you. It's very commendable. It pleases God. But Peter then could have said, you know, I, I believe what you're just saying. Frankly, I'm done. Tell somebody else to go out. Or uh, Jesus, uh, that guy, he's more of a failure than I am. Let him go experience it. That's not what he did. He said, because you say so, because you say so, because you told me to do it, I'm going to do it. Until we can say that, until we say that, it's a partial, a partial being a follower of Jesus. Jesus said, or James said in James 2, you believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, don't you know that faith without deeds is useless? So faith says, you know, I, I believe your word. Faithfulness says, I believe enough to obey. I'm going to act on what I say I believe. Now, in order for Peter to get there, he had to ignore three voices in his head. One was the voice of human reason. This didn't really make sense. It didn't make sense. He had just come in. There are no fish biting. So it was an unreasonable thing for him to go out again into waters he knew were empty of fish at a time of day when fish don't bite. But he doesn't. A lot of things Jesus said don't make sense. That's why we scratch our heads a lot. He said, you want to find life? Then you got to give up yours. What? Do you want to really live with a cup that overflows? Then you have to die to yourself. You have to forget about your own agenda and you have to follow my agenda. Well, that doesn't make sense, but it's true. It's just what works. You want to make sure you ends meet and you have all your needs met, then you make sure out of your income, you give to me off the top. 
and I'll take care of you. That doesn't make sense when things aren't coming together even now with the bills that have to be paid. And yet with the Lord, it always, it always, it always works. It always happens. That's, that's how he works. We have to ignore human reason and listen to the word of, Father, of the Lord. He also had to ignore the voice of personal experience. He, he, Peter was an experienced fisherman. He knew what to do. He knew how fishermen works. Nevertheless, he said, because you say so. Personal experience will often keep us away from being all in with Jesus Christ. What do I mean? Well, you may not be all in, but you know you said a prayer one time, and boy, it got answered. Therefore, all must be okay in your life. And so experience trumps full obedience and being all in. Sometimes um, you can let a bad experience with a Christian person keep you away from from, from the Lord, because you knew a Christian who went to that church, and he treated you terribly, or, or she talked about you badly, and I don't want to be there, so it keeps you away from Jesus. So, so it can be good experiences or bad experiences that keep you away. Either way, you know, the, the only, the, you know we, judge, we judge Christianity not by people, not by experience, but by, by one person and who he is, his identity, Jesus being the only begotten Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the only one worthy of being our Lord. That's what we do. Everybody before him who follows him have said, I, have fi- I find no fault in him, starting with Pilate, who never followed him, but didn't find any fault in him. And we don't find fault in him either. We're here because of who Jesus is, not because we're all that stellar in our personal lives. And he had to ignore the voice of fatigue. Master, we've been doing this all night long. We're worn out. I don't want to do it anymore. But because you say so, I'll do it. We live crazy lives. You know, I, 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 you know, I can look forward to retirement. But I tell you, I talk to retired people, and they say, we don't know how we got it all done before we retired. I'm thinking, really? The calendar's going to be this full? And your calendar is full, too. Some of you are at the ball fields every night of the week. Now, so, so, some of you already work 60 or 70 hours a week in your job you're expected to do, or you're not going you're, you're to get a good review. And you, you feel beaten down just by life's demands. Some of you have lots of kids. Some of you have kids in different seasons of life. Some of you have, are taking care of your aging parents, and you have to get involved. I mean, there's all kinds of things that make us weary. But friends, we have to learn the spirit that says, God, because you say so, because you say so, I'm going to obey you. I'm all in. I'm going to do what you call me to do. You need to learn the discipline of Sabbath rest somehow. But at the same time, what happens in our crazy lives, we crowd him out. He's, he's the first thing to go. I don't have time for your word. I don't have time for prayer. I don't have time for silence. I don't have time to sit for half an hour in the morning. I'm too tired to be. Somehow, friends, we are out of whack. And when you get out of whack, and if Satan can make you weary and tired, you will not listen. And you, you will not listen to the Lord. And you will not have a spirit that says, because you said so. You'll say, I know you said so, but I just can't. Or I won't. Or I don't want to. A lot of things make us weary. You may be serving the treehouse. Man, I just, I don't want to anymore. I'm tired. Well, do it anyway. I, I don't want to lead a life group. I don't want to lead a D group. You know, I, I, don't, I, I don't want to go to church today. Well, do it anyway. Because he said so. He expects us to be together on the Lord's day. He expects us to give. He expects us to serve. He expects us to lay down our lives. He expects us to forgive. He expects us to, to, to be over the things that are barriers in our lives that keep us from being all in. What is that for you? What is it that's keeping you from all? And don't think I'm the preacher and I got it all together too. There are all kinds of ways in my own life that I have all kinds of obstacles that kept me away from being all in, even while I was, while I was preaching here every week. You think I wanted to be in church every Sunday morning? Huh. 
I love it when Luke preaches. I can sleep a little later. You know? No, I mean, there, there, are day, there are days we just get weary. And Paul wrote, he said, don't be weary in doing good. And we need, we, we, if we're going to be all in disciples of Christ, because he said so, we're going we're gonna to work our tails off for him. We're going to speak for him. We're going to serve him. We're going to love him. We're going to worship him. We're going to do what he calls us to do. Isaiah 40, the prophet wrote, he gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. And they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. So wherever you are, because he said so, we will hang in and we will do what he calls us to do. Next is fullness in Jesus. Imagine. Now, those of you who like fishing, I haven't fished a whole lot, but I know the fun of feeling the tug, you know? Usually for me, it's weed or something, you know? I still remember being a little boy, and we went deep sea fishing in the, in the Gulf, and I remember that tug, and I remember the, 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 uh, the man charged the boat beforehand, said, now when you feel that, you just yell, fish, and we'll come help you haul it in. And man, I felt that tug. Fish! I was so excited, scared to death. I got about a six-inch perch. <laughs> yeah, real fisherman I am, that's for sure. It's the same kind of feeling you golfers have, you know, when you're having a, you're having a terrible round, but you get one good drive. And boy, that's all you need for the next three holes, right? It's the same with fishing. It's the same with working with people. It's the same with loving people. You just, you get a little tug from somebody who wants to have a spiritual conversation. It's all you need to keep you going. And maybe 20 people shut you down. But there's that one person's intrigued by what you have to say. And man, that's all you need to keep going. Is there anybody in your life right now that you're fishing for? Anybody that's really weighing you down? Anybody that you know you should say something to, but you haven't been saying anything to? You see, what Jesus will do is like what he did with Peter. You know, he, he gets that tug. And then he starts, he starts enjoying the experience of what that feels like. To have, have fish respond, to have people respond. And you're good to go. And, and, and by the way, fullness, you know, God fills us up. He fills us up. You experience that fullness. But not just for you. It's for, so you'll be a conduit. Now, Sea of Galilee is the northern part of Israel. And the Jordan River, uh, it, it, it exits the, the, down the Jordan River to the lowest place on earth, the Dead Sea, where nothing lives. Why? Because there, there, there's nothing flowing out of it. And I fear in our church, there are too many people and there's a lot of good stuff flowing in and not much going out. And what happens to a church like that? It dies. It only takes one generation for that to happen. And I think we've gotten so used to just enjoying what we have and having a nice fellowship that we forget what we're called to. We are called to give our lives away in the name of Jesus Christ to the next generation. And if we're, not, if we're not changing for the sake of the next generation, we are doomed to destruction, self-destruction. Then there's the fear of Jesus. The fear of Jesus. That means to be awestruck by him. When Peter experiences this, you know what I would have said? Hey, stay in my boat. But that's not what Peter said. He said, Get away from, go away from me. I am a sinful man. He didn't know what to do with Jesus. He starts seeing him 
far differently than he always, any time he had seen him before in the previous occasions and even this occasion. Now he recognizes he is truly Lord of creation. He's even Lord of the fish of the Sea of Galilee. Proverbs 14, 27 says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. Now, when you look at people, please recognize every person here and every person you will encounter the rest of the day and this week, no matter where you're, they're either knowing God as the fountain of life or in there in the snare of death. That's it. There's no other place to be spiritually than one of those two places. Now, I trust that you today are experiencing the fountain of life with him. But I'm not naive enough to believe that all of us, even though we're in church today, are, have escaped the snare of death. Some of you may have gone through some of these things that we talked about today. You've been a friend of Jesus. You know you're a failure without him, that there's some faith in him, but you're still not all in. And until you lay your life on the line, till you're till you all in, I fear, I fear what God will say to you on the day of judgment. It's his call, not mine. But Peter calls, calls Jesus in verse 5, master, meaning sir. He calls him Lord in verse 8, meaning you're the boss. Is he the boss of your life? Because then there's forsaking for Jesus. That's next in the process. Verse 11 Peter walks away. He leaves everything. He leaves his fishing partnership. He leaves his business. He leaves his source of security. Now, Jesus may cause you to leave a job. Probably not. But he does call every one of us to leave whatever is keeping us from being all in. What is it? Is it living through your kids? Is it, is it living for your job? Saving for retirement? Early retirement, you hope? Is it somehow to be rich, to have no worries in retirement years? Is it just your leisure life? Is it, is it a hobby, a pastime that's your favorite? That's, your, that's where your passion is? That's what gets you going? See, if anything, if anything captures your heart more than the truth that once you were saved and now you're found, once you were dead and now alive, that thing threatens you. It, thre it threatens to keep you away from being all in. Isn't it hard? I tell you, friends, there are seasons in my life that even while preaching the gospel, I have not been all in. I have been distracted by other kinds of things in life. I'm telling you, I'm telling you this because, because I've been there before. It's not that I didn't love Jesus it's not that he wasn't Lord, but I wasn't completely in because there were other passions that took my attention for a season. And I had to be convicted of that. Times I've confessed to you before, times when, you know, family energies just had to be focused there. Or, or times when ministry obligations were so intense that I bypassed my own relationship with Jesus to be with people who needed Jesus. How foolish I was. It happens. Have you forsaken anything lately? What has being a disciple of Jesus cost you lately? I'm not talking five years ago if there ever was anything. I mean lately. 
What does it cost you financially? What does it cost you relationally? What does it cost you in service and ministry and time and energy? What does it cost you? If you don't have, if there's nothing you can name, you're not all in. Because God is always calling us deeper. He's calling us to experience more, richer things. And finally, there's following Jesus. And from this day on, wherever Peter went, that's where Jesus went, that's where Peter went. Watching Jesus engage people, watching people come alive in him, being so awestruck by his teaching, 24-7 lifestyle. You see, this is why we have to be connected to each other. If you're a person who walks in here for one hour and checks in and then leaves, and you're not in a Christian community sharing your life and blessing life of other believers, you're not all in. Because Jesus' way of transforming us is in authentic community. Now, he rescues us by the cross, but he transforms us in community. That's what we have to have. That's why we bug you all the time on who you're connected with, who you're serving with, you know, who, who, who you're in life group with. You can't grow without people. You know, it's just really interesting that Three years later, after this account, we have another scene so similar to this one. And many of you are acquainted with it. It's in John 21. It's after the resurrection. Jesus, uh, Peter, with six of his buddies, are in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they're fishing again. And they're not catching anything. And Jesus is on the beach. He started a fire because he's going to cook breakfast for them using the fish they haven't caught yet. And and you remember the scene. Jesus says, throw your net out on the other side of the boat. What? And they do. And there's so many, they start counting. There are 153 fish that come to the net. And Peter looks, it's the Lord. But this time is different. He doesn't say, depart from me, I'm a sinner. He jumps out of the boat and he swims to Jesus. He can't wait. Now, what makes the difference between Luke 5 and John 21. It's how he views his own sin. In Luke chapter 5, he sees his sin so much. Oh, no, 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 not me, Jesus. No, get away from me. No, no. People like you, maybe, or people you know. Boy, if I walked in church, the roof would fall in. No, I'm not. No, I'm, if you knew my story, you wouldn't be inviting me to church. If you knew what I had done, you wouldn't want to be my friend. No, no, I don't think he could save somebody like me. Oh, want to bet? In John 21, what's happened to Peter? A few days earlier, here stood out the trial of Jesus. He said, me, no, I never, no, I never met the man. No, no, the guy, no, no, you had me confuse somebody else. And he went out and wept bitterly. And the only thing he knew to do in John 21 is run to the only one that could save him. How about you? You know, even in church, sin can keep you at a safe distance from Jesus. It keep him merely a friend. Oh, man, God wants you. He doesn't care what your week looked like. He doesn't care if you blew it uh, 12 hours ago at a party. What he cares about is today, right now, where you want to be and who you want to be. Will you be all in? When you are, he'll do something in you that you thought was impossible. Now, some of you have loved Jesus, but you've never even been baptized into him. And maybe, 
Maybe you were sprinkled as a baby and maybe you invited Jesus in your heart. And I'm not saying God doesn't save people that way. That's not for me. I don't, I don't have anything to say about that. All I know is that's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It means to be immersed underwater in him. John 6 says, you know, we can't go on sinning. He he, he died. We, We die. We are buried with him in baptism. We are resurrected to new life. We do it because he said so. And we do things his way. Oh, the more he's got for us. He's worthy. Don't play it safe. Be all in.